Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. stream you guys missed it the best part of the entire sermon is gone now and we're not repeating it uh, anyway it's easy to become upset when we when we see the wickedness and and the the the, the destruction in this sin sick this fallen world um, but there's a difference between fear and concern god calls us to concern he doesn't call us to fear concern should drive action Fear paralyzes us. You know what I mean? And one of the biggest causes of fear is bad theology. I don't know if you're thinking, wow, you got Matt. Come on. No, seriously. Theology. What, how we view God. If we view God in a smaller way than he is, then we're not going to trust him. And if we don't trust him, that's going to lead to fear. You know, what if God doesn't pull through? What if he doesn't do this? What if he doesn't do that? And all of that boils down to a small, too small of a view of God. So I initially was going to call this sermon, Your God's Not Big Enough. But then I was like, eh, that's too negative. So, you know, let's get to the point. God is bigger than all of this stuff that, that, that causes our fear. God is bigger than... Well, everything, you know, and, and I was talking at home about, about what I was going to teach on, and my kids had the privilege of growing up in a VeggieTales home. So initially, right off the bat, I was like, God is bigger. And Zoe starts, than the boogeyman. He's bigger than Godzilla or the monsters on TV, you know. And I was like, yeah, yeah, just like that. Because God's not big enough, and our culture has reduced so many things, whether it be biblically or spiritually. Our worldview has suffered in our Western post-neo-Roman, neoclassical worldview and mindset. So before we can actually start to look at the bigness of God, the grandiosity of who he is, we need to unshackle ourselves from this whole uh, Renaissance mindset, if you will. I mean, when I say cherub, what do you guys think of? Do you think of this? Yeah? Or do you think of this? Because guess what? This is more biblically accurate. H.P. Lovecraft, eat your heart out. You know, these are terrifying creatures. So next time somebody tells you you have a cherubic face, I don't know if you should thank them. <laughs> Cherubs are the guardians of God's throne room. They, 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 they defend and, and expose God's holiness and his otherness. And yet we're always thinking, they're naked babies. <laughs> That's not the case. That's not the case at all. Because Western culture has diluted our view of biblical concepts and biblical truths. The reason for that is we're in a war. And the enemy likes to downplay biblical truths and who God is and what he has to say about himself. You know what I'm saying? And he's good at it. He's been doing it for centuries. Well, centuries here in the Western world. He's been doing it for millennia, so he's really good at it. The thing is, 
God is still bigger than that. God is bigger than the, the, the mind games that the enemy plays with us. So we, again, have to come back to Scripture, to, to, to what God has to say about himself. So in today's sermon, I am going to use large, large sections of Scripture, and I'm going to let God's Word speak for itself. Um, I'm not going to... I'm not going to dig in too deep. Hopefully you guys can take notes and do that at home. So I'm just going to let God's word say what it says and and do what it does. Because as 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is God-breathed. It's theonostos. It's profitable for for what we need it for. It has to be in its context and all that other good stuff. But, you know, so we need to get back to that scriptural viewpoint. A lot of even theological debates that like split churches apart come from a small view of who God is and us trying to fit God and reduce him into our image. And it's funny because in the next week or two, we're going to be hitting Romans 1. We're going to be going farther into that. And Romans 1.21 says, For all they knew, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts became darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. You know, we go back to Mount Sinai. We don't know what happened to Moses. What are we going to do, Aaron? And he goes, "Mm, let's make a calf. Why? Because we can see that. And cows, bulls are strong. And in, in that culture, that was the symbol of strength and spiritual power were these bulls with the horns. And so he's like, well, let's just do what the world does and culturally you know, create this image, this idol. So a lot of times we create this image and this, this idol of who God is. You know, is, is God this old man up in the clouds that, that just kind of sits there, you know, finding his nails? I hope they pick me. No, not at all. In fact, the throne room is much, much greater than we can possibly, possibly understand. God's word has authority because he's chosen to reveal himself to us. It's the key to interpreting our experiences in the world around us. And he's given us proof that we can trust him and we can trust this word in the Word. You know, if, if you ever get the chance to read through the book of Job, it's a really, it's a trippy book. And it's, it's the oldest one that was actually penned. You know, because Genesis, even though it covers the beginning, that was dictated to Moses by Yeshua up on Mount Sinai. So this was written, Job, during the time of the patriarchs. And there's so much scientific information in there. It talks about, you know, can you unbind the, 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 the binds of the, of the Pleiades or, or undo Orion's belt. Those are the two constellations that we know of that actually have gravitational effect on each other. You know, it talks about light having a way and darkness having a place because light moves. There's so much scientific information in here, so much stuff that was like way before, you know, our Western science discovered it. 
because God put it in there so that we can see it. You know, he put in biblical prophecy. Everybody thinks that the inter intertestamental periods between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, they call them the silent years. They weren't silent at all. In the book of Daniel, he covers it all. Every single king that, that had an interaction with, with, uh, with Israel, God put it down in the prophecies of Daniel. So you see the whole thing happen in real time. In fact, it, it was so it's so accurate that people are going, well, Daniel didn't write that. That was written afterwards. But God, in his infinite knowledge, puts in these little cross-references from other verses that, in other books that we know the people of Israel had when they came out of captivity. So it was already written, proving it. And God doesn't do this to make the Bible a history book or a science book or anything like that. But to confirm for us that we can trust his word on what it reveals to us about him because he's more important than all of these things. In fact, the first thing that we learn, that first page, Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was void without form. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the deep. He said, let there be light. God is outside time and space. He's bigger than time and space. And so many times, you know, this whole free will predestination argument that everybody loves to have, you know, well, do I have free will? Or No, you're trying to cram God into space and time, and he's outside of it. He created it. He created it for us so that it would make sense for us in our limited scope and ability to understand, you know? There was, there was a, uh, a rabbi in the 1200s, I think it was, from studying the Torah, he said that there are th 10 spatial dimensions, three of which we are able to experience plus time. In the 1980s, maybe it was the 90s, quantum physicists finally said, hey, guess what? There are at least 10 spatial dimensions plus time. Why? Because God's word is inerrant. It's theonostos. It's before. He foreknew. He knows all of these things. You know? But we think in small terms. We're thinking, yeah, God was hanging out bored in eternity and then decided. No, that's putting him again inside of a time frame. He doesn't have one. weird but it's just like the trinity it it's beyond our understanding but it's true we can begin to grasp it so holiness what is holiness because god being outside space and time means he sees other and that is the true meaning of holiness different set apart not like us God is outside of all of that. He's holy. And we think holiness, we think, you know, some guy like, you know, the, 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 the old Puritan who's out on a witch hunt, and he's holy, and he never smiles because he doesn't take pleasure in this world. No, that's not it at all. Holy is set apart, and we're supposed to have joy. We're supposed to, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Not by our bad music, not by the fact that we yell at everybody who doesn't understand doctrine correctly. No, by our love. 
because God is holy. God is other. So when we look at these things and we, we start getting an actual biblical understanding of who and what God is, it's going to open up a whole world of, oh my gosh, the truth is stranger than fiction. This is so far outside what I possibly could have imagined. I know it blows my mind every day. So we think about heaven, you know, everybody's, you know, guys in togas with harps and clouds and all that stuff, you know. No, that's not it at all. That's not what we see. The throne room of God. Let's see, yeah, Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. It's a rock concert I want to go to. You know what I'm saying? Isaiah 66, 1 says, Actually, you know, I didn't put that one down. It's funny when I'm rushing through. There's a lot of scripture verses here. And uh, with my horrible handwriting, I, I was able to skip a few because I didn't recognize what I was writing. Okay, anyway, uh, Revelation 4. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what may, must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. He is the one. He is different. He is the only one. Uh, let's see, where was I? Uh, <laughs> and one seated on the throne, and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, and on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes, in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature like an eagle in flight, and the fourth living creature. And the four living creatures, each of them uh, having six wings, are full of eyes, all around and within, and day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who's seated on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever, and they cast down their crowns before the throne, saying, worthy are you, O Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created and above the ex so that is from revelation that's 
That's the throne room. And the world thinks, eh, puffy clouds, and everything's done in, in beige and teals and whites. And, you know, there's no color, there's no darkness, there's no contrast, there's no noise. We're all playing this boring old-timey music. And don't get me wrong, I like old-timey music. But <laughs> our pulp culture paints such a boring picture. No wonder the unsaved don't want to go to heaven. No wonder half the church who doesn't have a biblical worldview. Actually, it's more than half the church. If you quote the latest Barna study, I don't want to go to heaven. Just stand around singing hymns all day. Sounds pretty cool to me, but beside the point, uh, you know, it's a boring picture. No wonder they don't want to go there. But God has actually revealed to us in his word something totally different. This is from Ezekiel. Oh, and here come the cherubs again. And the Above the expanse, over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne in appearance, like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was the likeness of a human appearance. Likeness, likeness, likeness. Why is it a likeness? Because that's the closest thing we can come to understanding what he's actually seeing, because God is above and beyond. He is holy. He is other. He is different. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire, and there was brightness. I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire, and there was brightness all around him, like the appearance of uh, the bow that is around uh, a cloud on the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness all around. And such was the appearance of the likeness, of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. Notice the emphasis in all of these passages is on God's holiness, his otherness, his difference, his... The fact that he's so far beyond and above. In Isaiah 46, verses 9 through 13, it says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, there's no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning, the ancient times, things not yet done saying, my counsel will stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of a heart, you who are far from righteousness. I will bring my, near my righteousness. It's not far off, and my salvation I will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel's glory. He declares himself again as outside of time. Time is nothing to him. He declares the end from the beginning. He is all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful. What he purposes to do, he will do. Whether it be bird or beast, man, Saved, unsaved, 
Later on, he calls Cyrus, a pagan king, by name 150 years before it happens. Just so that when Cyrus shows up, Daniel can go, hey, look, you're fulfilling this here. He even called you by name. Cyrus is like, oh, that's pretty cool. So you guys want to go home, huh? They're like, yeah. God called you to it. God is bigger than everything. God is bigger than all creation. We can't think that a piece of creation can beat him. And that includes the enemy. I want to put a lot of stress on this. A lot of people think that, you know, in heaven there's this big battle going on between God and the devil. You know, you'll see those Facebook posts with Jesus on one side and Satan on the other, and they're arm wrestling for souls. That couldn't be farther from the truth. Again, that is reducing who our God is. That's making him so much smaller. In fact, we find out in, I think it's Jude, he talks about the archangel Michael when he was battling with Satan over the, the body of Moses, he said, the Lord rebuke you. So it wasn't God down there going, no, you can't have this. No. He sent, he sent the archangel Michael because Satan is, isn't even worth God's time when you really get down to it. Okay? God is bigger than our enemy. In Genesis 3, when mankind fell, the first thing God does is he curses everybody involved. He curses the serpent and says, no, nah, you've lost your glory. You're running on your belly from now on. You're crawling around. But he makes the promise of Jesus right off the bat, declaring from the ancient times the things yet to come as if they were. You know, between your seed and her seed, he will crush your head, you will bruise his heel. God wasn't surprised when this happened. He wasn't surprised at all. In, uh, in Job, chapter 1, is that what we got next? Skip forward. Yeah, that, oh, nice. I am, a, I am a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away. Can a man himself hide himself in the secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? That was, uh, that apparently I missed from my last point. <laughs> but, you know, there's a psalm. If I make my dead in the bed in the depths of hell, you will find me. If I rise above the stars, you are there. He fills all of creation. There is no escaping God. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, there's no escaping God. No, there's no escaping God. He's for us, not against us. Job. Isaiah 48. Okay. Listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, whom I called. I am he. I am the first and I am the last. My hand laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I call them, they stand together. See what else we've got here? Okay. Job 38. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined the measurements? Surely you know. Who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Who laid its cornerstone? He did. He did all of this. Job is so great because, you know, we, we get to realize a lot of what this war is that we're in, what this contest is that we're part of. 
And that a lot of times we don't need to be speaking and condemning people. We need to just support, you know. It's funny because the first bit, you know, there's Job's friends show up and they're mourning with him and everything. And then they start saying, well, you must have screwed up. That's why God's smiting you. Because y'all done screwed up and y'all sinned and you need to repent. Because you ain't got his favor no more. And Job's going, I didn't do anything. I don't get it. But he knows what he's doing, so I'm going to praise him no matter what. And then in chapter 38, God shows up and says, all right, guys, you don't know what the heck you're talking about. Let me ask you a few questions so you can start thinking and put you in your proper place. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when the, when the morning uh, stars sang for joy? That's another word for angels, by the way. So they were all standing around cheering, going, woohoo! John 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Yeah, there I am. Okay, cool. I skipped way uh, far ahead of myself. All right, he was with God in the beginning. Uh, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I made my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even, if, uh, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. Day and night they go round on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from the marketplace. That's a typo. <laughs> so God is bigger than our is bigger than our fears. God is bigger than our doubts. Here we here we see what happens with with Thomas, the first uh, Missourian. It's Missouri that's the show me state, right? Yeah. So 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 Thomas Didymus. You know the guys are like, dude, we've seen the Lord. He's like. Unless I put my finger in his hand and put my hand in his side, I'll never believe. I'm a man of science. So here's what happened. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Okay, put your finger here and see my hands. Put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which were not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, 
you may have life in his name. Life in his name. Well, what good is life if we're bound by our sin? Well, guess what? God's bigger than our sin. And therefore, as one through one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, speaking of Adam, many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus is bigger than our sin. In Revelation, he says... I, John, brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. That's not prosperity gospel, is it? He, he was being faithful to God, and yet here he is in prison, start, stranded on an island, you know. Anyway, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me, a voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis and Philadelphia, to Laodicea. And when I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest, the hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. He has the keys of death and Hades. Our God is bigger than hell. A lot of people think that You know, God's kind of just playing this game, and there's heaven and there's hell, and he exists in heaven, but, you know, he's got nothing to do with hell. Well, as we've seen, if we make our bed in the depths of hell, he'll find us. He's sovereign over all of it. He's bigger than all of it. He's bigger than our sin. He's bigger than death. All of these things that we think, mm, that's a game changer. Mm, not really. His plans will endure. His word will be made good. A lot of people think that in hell, Satan rules. You know, and they're like, ah, oh, you know, you, we've seen all these pictures. You know, you go to hell, and then there's the devil and the tights and the pitchfork, and he's poking you. And, you know, that's not the way it is at all. 
He's going to be an inmate there. Lucifer does not rule in hell. He never has, and he never will. He's a defeated foe. God's word shows us this. In fact, even in this war that we're fighting right now, he has to ask God's permission to attack us. Job 1. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? that there's none like him on the earth, blameless and an upright man, who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does not Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions and have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he'll curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, and he did it. Guess what? Job was a righteous man. He loved God. He trusted God, so he didn't curse God. Satan lost that round, so he comes back. And again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them and presented himself before the Lord. Sounds familiar. And the Lord said to Satan, Well, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, blameless and an upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him with no reason. And then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has, he'll give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch the bone, his bone and flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he's in your hand, only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck, struck Job with, a lothum, with lothum so, loathsome sores from the soles of his foot to the crown of his head. It didn't work. It didn't work at all. Job held fast to his integrity because God gave him grace for that. And in fact, at the end of the book, when God shows up, he tells Job's buddies, he's like, hey, you better have Job pray for you because, you know, he's got the, he's got the right idea. You don't. And then God gave him back double what he had before. Except kids. He gave him seven more kids because he initially had seven kids, and then they were murdered by raiders from the east. God didn't give him 14 kids after that. He gave him another seven, because he never actually lost the first seven, because death is temporary. So everybody's thinking, you know, Satan versus God. No, it's the archangel Michael versus God. Here's a picture of who Lucifer is and what awaits him. Sheol beneath is stirred up to meet you when you come. It rouses the shades to greet you. All who were leaders of the earth, it raises from their thrones. And all who were kings of the nations, all of them will answer and say to you, to you, have, you have become as weak as us. You have become like us. Your pomp is brought down to Sheol, the sound of your harps. Maggots are laid out as a bed beneath you, and worms are your covers. 
How you're fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. How you, have cut, you are cut down to the ground. You who laid the nations low. You who said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend to the heights of the clouds and I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Again, it says, is this the man who made the earth tremble? Who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a desert and who overthrew its cities, who did not let its prisoners go home? All the kings of the nations lie in their glory, each in his own tomb. But you're cast out from your grave like a loathsome branch, clothed with the slain, those pierced by the sword who go down to the stones of the pit, like a dead body trampled underfoot. You will not be joined with them in burial because you have destroyed your land and have slain your people. May the offspring of evildoers nevermore be named. Prepare slaughter for his sons because of the guilt of their fathers, lest they rise and possess the earth and fill the face of the world with cities. He's crushed. He's broken down. He's not even getting cities. He doesn't even get the honor that dead humans get. Satan is a defeated foe. It's already conquered. In Luke, the 72 returned with joy. Those are the ones that Jesus sent out and said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Now, war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who's called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brothers has been thrown down, who accurses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives, even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come to you in great wrath, because he knows his time is short. And then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who's the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him in the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might deceive the nations, not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. And after that, he must be released for a little while. Satan doesn't rule in hell. He's a prisoner. He's, he's not worthy of God's face-to-face -face action. God sends angels to beat him down, chain him up, and throw him away. Let's not glorify a created being. He was just a cherub. And I know, they're creepy and weird-looking and powerful, but he's still just a created being. He is conquered. fact, 
God is bigger than the enemy. God is bigger than our understanding. You know, I, I said a lot of cause of fear is, is weak theology. But even theology falls short in our understanding of who God truly is. Theology is not God. Theology is our scientific explanations of who God is. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it's just like the laws of nature, you know, the, the, the laws of thermodynamics. They don't bind God. You know, every action has an equal, equal and opposite reaction. It's not a rule that we've made. It's our way of explaining the processes and the things that we see in nature. In the same way, our theology and our, our, our human understanding of doctrine and, and who God is describes what we see, but again, he's above and beyond. In Isaiah 55, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it to bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. John chapter 21. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them written? I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. God is bigger than all of these things. He's bigger than our denomination. He's bigger than our understanding. I mean, so John, not John the Revelator, but John the Baptist, Jesus said there was, he was the greatest of all prophets. No one before him came. But he was held captive by his culture's view of who the Messiah was and what he was going to be doing. And so as, as John's rotting in, in jail, you know, Herod threw him in jail for standing up on a political issue. And he's like, all right, come on. Come on, cuz. Let's do this. Let's throw out the Romans. Break me out of jail. What's going on? He's sitting there waiting. And finally he tells his buddies, he's, he tells his uh, disciples, he's like, hey, Go talk to Yeshua. See, see what, what the holdup is. You know, are, are you him or, or do we wait for another? It caused doubt because he was trying to reduce God to his plan again. And we don't want to do that. So who and what God has revealed himself to, to us uh, we'll never know completely this side of heaven. There's, there's so much more. It's so much bigger. You know, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 9 through 12. Now, this is in the middle of a section talking about love. When perfect love comes, we will see things clearly. God is love. So, for now we know in part and prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. I'm looking forward to that. That's one of my favorite thoughts about eternity is, is I'm just, 
I'm a nosy nerd, so I'm going to be running all over the place, you know, checking everything out. Jeremiah 29, 11, you know, God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans for good and not for evil, for prosperity and for not destruction, to give you a future and a hope. Everybody loves quoting that. But it's in the middle of a section where he's saying, guess what, guys? Judgment's coming. You're going to Babylon for 70 years. It's not going to be pretty. But I know the plans I have for you. Romans 8, 28, you know, for God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. Even those nasty things that are painful, that are no fun, that hurt, you know. Joseph, I don't think he thought that that it was so good being thrown in a pit and then sold into slavery and then getting lied about by his boss's wife and then winding up in jail for 13 years. I don't think he thought that any of that was cool. <laughs> I don't think he enjoyed any of it. But then later on when he's reunited with his brothers 30 years later during the famine, he says, you guys intended it for evil, but God intended it for good, for the saving of many souls. Even what doesn't make sense makes sense to him. We can trust him, that his plans for us are for good. He is beyond our understanding. He is good and he makes all things work to that end, even our free will. Even when we think, I'm being rebellious to God, guess what? He's going to make it work for his good. He is sovereign in our free will. A lot of people think it's either or, but it's not. It's both. It's just like the doctrine of the Trinity. You know, God is three in one. In fact, we see that in Deuteronomy where in the great Shema where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. It's not the number one. It's a unity of three. You know, we go back to Genesis. Let us make man in our image. You know, we, at the Tower of Babel, hey, let's go see what's going on, you know. Oh, look what they're doing. We need to stop this. The Trinity is talking to itself. So in the same way, you know, we're like, oh, we, we can't commune with them. They, be, they believe that man's a free agent. And they're going, we can't commune with them. They don't believe that we have free will. It's not that way. It's just like the people who, who don't believe that you can, you know, it's either scripture or science. It's both. God is bigger than all of these things that we've, that we've set up. If you guys uh, get the chance to read the 1689 London Confessional, Article 9 describes it perfectly. So anyway, just a little side note. God is bigger than our circumstances and everything that contributes to them. Whether it be our government, whether it be our finances, whether it be the place and time in which we live. Psalm 2 says, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed one, saying, let us burst their bonds and cast off their cords from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. He holds them in derision. 
Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord has said to me. This is Jesus speaking now. You are my son. Today I've begotten you. As for me, I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. Now the Holy Spirit speaks. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he become angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. The kings of the earth can't do anything. God's bigger than them. Daniel chapter 4. Verses uh, 34 and 35. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the world, he had the world empire going at the time. He was, you know, this was the superpower. I lifted up my eyes to heaven, and reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praise and honor to him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? That was after he, you know, he thought he was hot stuff. And so he spent seven years crawling around, suffering from lycanthropy, thinking that he was an animal eating grass. And not that I'm speaking of being in need. So here we go. Our circumstances, our, our finances, whether we have or have not. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content, for I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You mean that's not, that verse isn't about I can win any contest or make any million? No. I can do all things. I can suffer and die through Christ who strengthens me. Because there are far worse things than death, as we've already seen. My place in time. For the Lord God, who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and of earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. God is in control of all of these things. He determines our time and our place. We can't ask him, what are you doing? He's given us what we need, and he will give us what we need. Whether we see it or not, whether we recognize it or not, God is bigger than all of these things. 
He is greater than all of these things. His plans are bigger than our plans. His thoughts are bigger than our thoughts. He calls everything to do his will, and it obeys. He is sovereign. He is holy. He is just. He is true. And the craziest thing of all, he loves us. No matter how screwed up we are, our sins and our failures and our failings and our brokenness, even our rebellions, he uses it. He's bigger than our addictions. He's bigger than everything that we can possibly imagine. Neither height nor depth, nor principalities, nor powers, nor rulers, nor dark forces, nor spirits. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And it's that love that drove him to the cross to redeem us. It's that love that drives him to pour out the Holy Spirit to guide and direct us and draw us closer to Jesus. It's that love that will give us our eternal reward that we didn't earn. It's that love that gives us the opportunity to take part in his plan. You know? We can trust Him above all things. You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.